Well, if you would, turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you'd like to, you could also open to Psalm 31. We are going to go there as well today because, like I said, those two passages of Scripture are connected. Uh, So 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 to 14, and Psalm 31. And as you're turning there, I have a quarter here. You ever made a decision by flipping a coin? You know, heads on is one possible option, tails is the other. For instance, heads, I preach the sermon, tails, we just call it a day and we all go home. Two out of three? <laughs> you ever done that? You ever used a coin to make a, a, a decision, flip a coin, toss a, toss a coin? This last week, there were two very big coin tosses that happened. One of them actually happened last Sunday, a week ago today, of course, at the Super Bowl, where they toss a coin to see which team will get the ball first, in which case the 49ers won the coin toss, uh, but it certainly didn't help them out very much. But there's another very famous coin toss from February 3rd, 1959. So he celebrated, what, the 61st anniversary of the deaths of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. Some of you, of course, remember that. Some of you, like me, have only heard about that from your parents. But there's a very famous coin toss in that story. Because, of course, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and the Big Bopper are all these musicians who are touring the Midwest. And they are sick and tired of driving in a broken down old van in the middle of winter. And so Buddy Holly charters a plane, but it's only a three-passenger plane, and so some of the band members are going to have to drive, and some are going to fly. And so Richie Valens at the time decides that he, of course, wants to be on the plane. He doesn't want to drive in that broken-down old van. And so he and and, uh, Buddy Holly's guitar player end up flipping a coin to see who will ride on that plane. And Richie Valens won the coin toss and ended up on the plane, which crashed. And all three of them were killed. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper, and the pilot were all killed um, on that day. Think about that. Richie Valens' life or death was determined by the flip of a coin. You ever made a life or death decision based on a coin toss? What if we made all of our decisions in life by flipping that coin and seeing what it told us? Now, most of you know that a little more than two months ago, my wife and I and our kids welcomed our third child into our family, and his arrival has changed our family dynamic in quite a few ways. There's, of course, caring for him, which takes a bit of time and attention, but there are other considerations, too, like our whole financial picture is going to change with this new mouth to feed, a new body to clothe. We've got to think about new things for health insurance. We have a new mind to educate and so on. What if we made all those decisions, those family decisions, very big decisions by flipping a coin? One of the things we're talking about is my wife staying home and not going back to work. What if we said, Lord, should Betsy go back to work or stay home? Heads, she stays home. Tails, she goes back. What would you think about that? We don't make decisions that way, do we? What if we said, Lord, should we buy this health insurance plan or a different one? Tails, it's this one. Heads, it's that one. And we flipped a coin and just to see what we should do. Seems kind of crazy, right? Well, believe it or not, this is how God's people in the Old Testament made decisions. 
Although they didn't flip a coin per se, they used something called the Urim and the Thummim. We're going to talk about those in a little bit here again. But Bible scholars aren't surely exactly what the Urim and the Thummim were, but we know from the Bible that they were tools that were used for God to kind of answer yes or no questions that his people asked him. Maybe something like dice or even something like a coin. For example, one side of the coin is the Urim and the other side is the Thummim and they would represent the two sides of the coin and uh, kind of like heads and tails. And if the Urim came up, it was a yes. And if the Thummim came up, it was a no, something like that. Very much like a coin toss. But of course, God's people in the Old Testament weren't leaving their decisions up to chance. Rather, they believed that God was so powerful, so watchful over his creation that he even controlled the flip of a coin. And so that if we wanted to ask him what to do, we could use our Urim and our Thummim or a coin and say, Lord, heads, this is your will. Tails, this is your will. You're going to decide which side this coin comes up on. And so we'll trust your guidance in that way. And that's how they made a lot of decisions in the Old Testament. In fact, earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, do you recall this? We actually looked at this last winter But the people demand a king. And do you remember how that king was chosen? Samuel called all the 12 tribes of Israel before him. And he said, okay, Lord, is the king going to be from this tribe? Heads, it's this tribe. Tails, it's not. That's what he did. I'm serious. You can go back and read it. Samuel went down the line like that. And then when he found the tribe that came up as a yes from the Lord, he said, okay, Lord, is it going to be from this family and this tribe? Flip the coin. And that's how they went, and so on and so on, until it came down to Saul. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you'll see God's people making decisions, even big decisions, sometimes life or death decisions, by casting lots, by flipping a coin. Again, Samuel chose Israel's king that way. Although, again, it wasn't Samuel, it was God directing the decisions of his people through that coin toss. But still... Can you imagine making decisions in your life, even and especially big decisions, by flipping a coin? Now, today, God is still sovereign over the flip of the coin. He still determines outcomes according to his will, and he still communicates with his people. But we don't live our lives by flipping a coin, do we? Well, why not? If God is still sovereign and he still directs our individual and our personal fates, why not just flip a coin? In fact, we read through these, these verses in 1 Samuel, and that's essentially what David does. This is how he makes some huge decisions in this passage today. Life or death decisions, even, he flips a coin. Now, the reason we don't determine God's will by flipping a coin is that God has given us a much better gift than a coin or even the Urim and the Thummim that God's Old Testament people use. Instead, God has given us his word. We don't make decisions cryptically by tossing a coin in the air. Instead, we have the mind and heart and wisdom of God given to us in a book that tells us his will. And more than that, God's people have his own spirit living inside of them to bring that book to bear on their minds and their hearts to help us know and understand his will. So for us to disregard the word of God in favor of a coin flip would be utter foolishness. 
Instead, God wants us to use his wisdom in his word as we live our lives and make our decisions. For example, imagine if I told you all of the statistics about driving with a seatbelt on, how it is safer, how it minimizes the risk of injury or death in a car accident, and you just disregarded all that information and said, ah, God is sovereign, I'll let him decide if I wear a seatbelt. That would be utter foolishness. You would be a moron. Because God has clearly given you the wisdom to be able to make a righteous and good decision and to forsake that wisdom under the guise of, well, I'll just leave it up to the Lord, is foolishness. So in this passage today, you're going to see David make some life or death decisions by essentially flipping a coin. But God has given us something better than he has even given David, his word. And the wise Christian will go to God's word to discover his wisdom and then will act accordingly. Now, where it gets a little bit tricky is that sometimes God's will and his wisdom will lead us to make hard decisions. Things we may not want to do or things that might even seem to not make sense on the surface or things that might even seem to risk our safety or our lives. Well, how do we make the right decision then? And then how do we walk in faith towards living out that will for our lives? These are all questions I think we see in this passage from 1 Samuel 23. Now, if you recall, David and his 400 men have left the security of the caves and have gone into the region of Judah, to a forest. But then after a while, David receives some troubling news. In verse 1, it says that they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla and are robbing the threshing floors. Now that's not good. The Philistines, the perpetual thorn in Israel's side, are once again raiding and antagonizing an Israelite city, the city of Kayla. These are David's countrymen. And he loves his countrymen, and he wants to help them. But it's not just as simple as, hey, let's go save the city of Kayla because there are some extenuating circumstances that are at play here too. First and foremost, of course, anytime you go into battle, it should give you some pause because going into battle isn't something you should do lightly or willy-nilly. The lives of David's men are at risk. Look at verse 3. David's men actually said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kayla against the armies of the Philistines? Now remember, David and his men left those caves. They went into Judah and where they were quite a bit more exposed and where they were actually a lot closer to King Saul in his headquarters. And that was enough to make David's men afraid. But now they're talking about going into battle against the Philistines, against who knows how many in this Philistine army. Remember, David left those caves with only 400 men. Is that enough to take on the Philistines? Who knows? Would David and his men be going to meet their end at the city of Kela? And then second, David and his men are, of course, Israel's most wanted because Saul has been after David for quite some time now to kill him. And surely if David and his men go and fight the Philistines, Saul is going to hear about it and he could potentially come down to the city of Kela to get David. So it's a big decision that has life or death consequences. What should David do? How does he make the decision? He flips the coin. Lord, should we go down to Caleb? This is what it says. Look at verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 2. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Caleb. 
But David's men said to him, Behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Calah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. There you go. Asked and answered, right? God, should I go fight the Philistines? Yes. Although we should note that David actually asked God the same question twice. Because again, at first, the, the first answer didn't seem to make sense. God did, wanted David to leave what little security he had to go and risk his life and the lives of his men by battling the Philistines, thereby becoming completely exposed to Saul if Saul wanted to make an attack against him too. And so David says after that first response, uh, what was that, Lord? You really want me to go and fight the Philistines at Calah? Let me double check that here. Flip the coin. Oh, no. That's the problem. He flips the coin. Did you really want me to go, Lord? Yep. Get going. So even though the decision was maybe a little hard for David to make, the right course of action wasn't crystal clear, but he simply inquired of the Lord and got firsthand instructions on what to do. And then verse 5, David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. So David asked God what to do. He got a very clear direction and he went and did it, even though the action he was to take was inherently dangerous and even put his life at risk. Now, I think one of the lessons that we are to learn here is that God doesn't always call us to do easy or safe things. Sometimes he might lead us to do things that are dangerous, risky even, or even things that endanger our very lives. The Christian life is not a life of ease. It is a life of walking by faith in obedience to God and his will wherever it leads. But this is not the end of the hard decisions that David will have to make because once the battle with the Philistines is over, another difficult decision comes down the pipe. Verse 7. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Calah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Now, just a little aside here. Notice that Saul never inquires of the Lord. Lord, should I go get David? He's beyond that. He's only operating on his own wisdom. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Now, what's the ephod? What's that all about? Well, the ephod is what the priest would wear over his chest, the high priest or any of the priests that worked in the, the tabernacle at this time. They were dressed up in a, a certain costume, you could say, that, was befit, uh, that befit the priests, and part of that was the ephod that went over their chest. And in that plate on their chest, there was the kind of the storage container for that Urim and the Thummim that I've, we've talked about already. Those decision-making tools for God's people were stored in that high priest's chest piece. And Abiathar, the priest here, goes to David, and he has the ephod with the Urim and the Thummim inside. And so David says, I've got another decision to make. Bring me that ephod. Verse 10, then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Now, 
Do you know what's going through David's mind here? I can tell you. The city of Nob. Do you remember the city of Nob? Nob is that city where Ahimelech, the high priest, lived. Now, Ahimelech, you'll recall, helped David at one point in time by giving him a little bit of bread and also the sword of Goliath. Do you remember that? Saul found out about that, did not like that at all, had uh, Ahimelech and all of the priests, 85 of them, executed because they helped Saul's enemies. And then after that, they went to the city of Nob, where Ahimelech and all of the priests lived and all their families and men, women, and children and all their animals, and Saul killed everyone in that city. And do you remember what David said after that? He said, I have occasioned the death of all of those people. And so now here's David and Kayla, and he hears that Saul is coming down to get him, and you know what he doesn't want? He does not want the whole lives of another city on his conscience. Because he knows Saul could come to Kayla and do exactly the same thing that he did to Nob. So now, David has heard that Saul is coming, and he's thinking that Saul's going to destroy this city because David is there. He doesn't want the lives of another city on his conscience, so he's got a decision to make. The way David sees it, there's only two possible outcomes. Either Saul comes and destroys the city of Kayla because of David, or Saul comes to Kayla and the people of Kayla give David up to Saul because they don't want Saul to destroy them. So it's time to flip the coin again. Lord, what should I do here? Now the short story is that God tells David that Saul is coming to Kayla and that the people of Kayla will give David up to Saul to save their own skin. So with those two pieces of information, David makes the only decision that he can. He runs away. Verse 13. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kayla, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kayla, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So once again, David escapes. But you need to realize that by following God's will for his life, David went into dangerous and even life-threatening situations. And David made these decisions by essentially trusting that God was sovereign over the flip of a coin. So he, could, he would abide by either heads or tails, whatever God said. And again, remember, I'm not saying that we should go start making those decisions by flipping coins. Rather, God has given us a far superior way of determining his will and his wisdom. We don't need to be flipping coins because we have God's direct communication to us through his word and his spirit living inside of us, bringing that word to bear on our hearts. So here's the point. If you are seeking God's will, then it's only a matter of time before he leads you to a difficult decision. Maybe it's a decision to stop being around or associating with certain people who hinder your Christian walk or your Christian witness. Maybe that will mean ending a relationship. It's a hard decision to make. Turn to the Lord's will. Turn to his wisdom and his word to find out what to do. Maybe it's a decision to share your faith with someone, but you know that person tends to be hostile to spiritual things, and if you share the gospel with them, they might get angry and not be friends with you anymore. 
Maybe it's a decision to give sacrificially that will significantly alter your way of life and you'll have to tighten the belt and make some sacrifices here and there. Maybe it's a decision to leave your life here and go overseas to a foreign land to be a missionary. Those are big decisions to make. And God calls people through his word and through his spirit to these kinds of decisions all the time to follow him where he leads. So how can we have that confidence of David where God says, where he says to the Lord, should I go save the, the city of Cala and put 400 men's lives at risk? Should I go do that? He says, yep. And David goes. He goes and he does it. How do we have that kind of confidence? How can you and I have that kind of confidence to walk by faith, to do the difficult things that God has called us to do, like he called David? This is where we want to turn to Psalm 31. Although we don't have a direct link between Psalm 31 and this story from 1 Samuel 23, most biblical scholars believe that Psalm 31 was written as a reflection of David's interaction with the city of Calah. And the reason for this is that in the psalm, David talks about people laying traps for him, right? A need to be rescued from those who want to take his life, and that God has not delivered him into the hands of his enemies. For example, in verse 21, David says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. Sounds kind of like David's experience in Calah, doesn't it? So in short, Psalm 31 sounds like it was written by a guy who saved the city, but then was betrayed into the hands of his enemies by the same city that he saved. But what I think is most telling about this psalm is the way that it describes David's heart of trust in God, and how he lives his life and trusts God's will for him and walks out that will in a bold and confident faith. And you can see that here in this psalm also. David completely trusts God's will for his life, even if it leads him into dangerous or unpleasant situations. And there's a very famous verse in this psalm that is actually quoted by someone else that we read about in the Bible, and it comes in verse 5. David says, into your hand I commit my spirit. Does that sound familiar? It should, because none other than Jesus himself quoted this psalm as he hung on the cross. In fact, these were Jesus' last words before his death. This is from Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, these words from Psalm 31, verse 5, that David says, and then Jesus quotes, tell us very, something very important about both David and Jesus. Remember, David made his life-or-death decision to save the, ki the city of Cala by essentially tossing a coin. And we would say, David, you can't make life-or-death decisions by flipping a coin. Are you crazy? And David would answer, no, I'm not at all crazy because I trust the Lord with my life completely. God is guiding me for the sake of his name 
And so he won't guide me to a place that will bring me to shame because his own name would suffer dishonor and God will not allow that to happen. So I can trust myself to him completely. My times are entirely in his hand so I can trust him and say, you are my God into your hand. I commit my spirit. Listen, when David knew where God was leading him, when he knew the will of God for his life, he could walk forward in faith and even in boldness into dangerous situations because he had committed his spirit into the hand of God. And since he had that level of trust in God's plan for him, he could literally do anything God led him to do without fear of the results. Similarly, Jesus came to live out the will of God for his life, which was to die on the cross, to make atonement for sin. Remember the night before Jesus died, he was, I think it's safe to say, less than excited about this plan for his life. He prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. And the very last words he uttered before his death will tell you why he walked in obedience to that cross and then climbed up onto it to die upon it. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, walked in obedience to the Father's will because he entirely trusted the plan and purpose of God. Now, do you think it was easy for Jesus to walk the road that led to the cross. Just think of him as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before, under so much stress that he is sweating blood. Do you think it was easy? Of course not. It was fraught with danger and difficulty. Well, then why did he do it? Because he entrusted his life, his spirit, into the hands of God, the safest place that it could possibly be. That is why I think Jesus chose this quotation from Psalm 31 as the final words that he uttered before his death. It was an expression of complete trust in God and his plans and purposes. Now, again, you and I don't flip a coin to discern the will of God for our lives. We have his word right in front of us. We have his spirit guiding us as we interact with that word, and his spirit takes that word and applies it to our hearts and tells us and shows us what we are to do. And with those two tools, you and I can know the will of God for our lives and we can be able to make any decision. Now, I'll grant that using the word of God may not be as simplistic as flipping a coin. And you should know that in order to know God's will for your life, you're going to need to invest yourself into studying his word. You're going to need to invest yourself into wrestling with his word, seeing what it says, figuring it out, and then applying it to yourself. It's a lot more than just flipping a coin. But it is so worth it because you will know the mind and heart of God. And after that, you can then say, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit, and you've called me to this hard thing, and I'm going to do it because I know that you have me in the palm of your hand. Now, let me give you just a little plug here. On February 23rd, we're going to start kind of a series of workshops here at Riverview called Grasping God's Word. And it's going to be a series of workshops on 
How do I read and study the Bible? So I want to know God's will for my life, but when I, when I read the Bible, it's just hard, right? It's difficult. Anybody ever felt like it's hard to read the Bible? It is hard. It can be hard, at least. It doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be a chore. And so what we're going to do, starting February 23rd, Sunday nights at 6 p.m., is we are going to do these workshops called Grasping God's Word, how to read, study, and apply the Bible to our lives. I want to invite you all to be a part of the, those workshops. I think they're going to be very, very profitable. Again, February 23rd, Sunday nights at 6 p.m. So if you want to know God's will for your life, it's right here for you. It is here, but we've got to dig into it. And there are certain tools and ways that we can do that that will help us to discover God's will for our life. And we're going to look at some of those um, at these workshops. So not only, though, do you have the best tools to know and live out God's will for your life. You have his word, you have his spirit. But if you are in Christ, you can have the same confidence and boldness in your obedience that David and even Jesus had. You can say with David and with Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then when God calls you to do something difficult, like go battle the Philistines, he's not going to call you to that, but something like that, you can walk in confident and bold faith because you have committed your, hand, your spirit into his hands. So trust your God. Trust his plan. Trust his wisdom. Trust his provision. And then walk in faith. This is the key to living the Christian life in obedience. This is the key to bold obedience. This is the key to Christian decision-making, knowing the will of God through his word, by the help of his spirit, and then walking in faith because you have committed your spirit into his hand. That's why David could act confidently in danger. This is why Jesus could go confidently to the cross. This is why missionaries go overseas to unreached people groups and to nations that are hostile to the gospel. Why are they crazy? Are they just braver than you and I? They have committed their spirit into the hand of God. And when he says call or go, they go for that very reason. And this is why you can be bold to share the gospel with your friends and family. This is why you can boldly obey God no matter what he calls you to do. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. What hard thing has God called you to do? What difficult thing has God, you know, kind of been edging you towards, right? And you're kind of, oh, just not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure if that would be right or if that would work out for me. It might really upset my, my plans. You know, maybe let's flip a coin. No, don't flip a coin. Is God calling you to some difficult thing? I don't think it's an if question. It is a what hard thing is God calling you to do? I think every single follower of Jesus in this room, God is calling you to do something difficult that you may not want to do. What hard thing is he calling to do, calling you to do? And are you doing it? And if you're not, can I ask you, what is holding you back? And then I want to encourage you to do what David does, do what Jesus does, commit your spirit into his hands, and then walk one foot in front of the other by faith into what God has called you to do. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you are an active God, that you are involved in our lives, that you are not absent, that you are not just, you know, 
some puppet master making the world turn and our lives go in these different directions. But Lord, you are intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. You are calling us to this and to that. Every single one of us, a unique person with a unique relationship with you, being called to unique things. And Lord, you are sovereign over them all, even down to the flip of a coin. So we praise you for your power and your authority and that you care for us and you love us to walk these roads with us. God, I thank you that you have called all of your people to follow after you in certain ways that are unique to them, according to the gifts and the the things that you have given to them to be able to be obedient. God, would you give us this bold faith that we read about, we read about here this morning. Lord, would you give us this confident obedience because we know that you are with us and we have committed our spirits into your hand so that no matter what you call us to, we can walk into it with faith and confidence and courage because there is no God like our God who holds us in the palm of his hand. God, give us that courageous obedience to follow you wherever you lead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.